The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive. Buffalo Rumblings Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I hope your Thanksgiving was fantastic. I hope your Black Friday is fantastic. Quite frankly, I hope all of your days are fantastic. If you have not done so already, please go back and listen to my pod from yesterday on quarterback metrics. I am plugging it absolutely because I put a ton of work into it. And I desperately want it to reach as many people as humanly possible. So if you can rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, but specifically share that one, that would be beneficial to the cause. Thank you for that in the spirit of Thanksgiving. But you know what we do on Fridays and Black Friday is no different. Black Friday is no different than any other Friday on this podcast because we are going to do two things. We are going to go through your almighty takes. As a reminder, email me, I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes for the upcoming week or weeks in a method that is not the final score of the upcoming game. And I will respond to them on this podcast primarily by putting them into buckets as far as their probability, in my opinion. In addition to that, we are going to crumble the cookies of the Los Angeles Chargers. It is still weird not calling them the San Diego Chargers, and it is still weird not calling them the Oakland Raiders. It's just, it just feels wrong. It feels abhorrent and abomination. It feels like an affront against God himself. The football gods, at least. But we are going to jump into your almighty takes. Jeremy starts off and says, Bruce, this may not be a title per se, but... You could take the moniker Robert the Bruce, perhaps an homage to your Scottish listeners. This is a discussion relating to a nickname conversation that we all had on this podcast a couple weeks back. We were trying to figure out if I need a nickname. And you might say, Bruce, you already use a pseudonym. Or do I? 
Maybe Bruce is my real name. That's right. Got you all twisted up now. Why would you need a nickname for a pseudonym? Because it's cool. That's why. Just, just come on, guys. Just let me have this one thing, okay? I just want to be cool for a second. And I do have a good bit of Scottish listeners, and it's absolutely awesome. Robert the Bruce totally works. Jesse Stentz says, Bruce, since our epic loss to the Cardinals yesterday, I have been pondering the interplay between Buffalo's team tendencies and the evolution of Josh Allen. Fair warning, this is a long email, but it's worth it. I've considered Buffalo's unique circumstances as an organization that recently emerged from the NFL's longest playoff drought, led by a relatively young, idealistic head coach and a talented but unrefined quarterback without the prototypical NFL pedigree. I can only imagine the combination of excitement and pressure within the organization. There is a sense that this may be the continuation of an unfinished story, balance restored to the football universe after two decades of cruelty to long-suffering fan bases. I wonder how the players' and coaches' consciousness of this moment impacts their performance. McDermott may offer some insight into his manner of communication. At the beginning of his tenure, he acknowledged Bill's fans' expectations for the team to regain championship form while preaching the process. He distilled their goals into a progression of mantras, trust the process, playoff caliber, championship caliber. He spoke in unity with Brandon Bean, who talked about making decisions to balance winning now with winning in the future when he traded for Kelvin Benjamin. As ill-fated as that particular trade may have been, it still presents an example of the successful philosophy that has guided this emerging franchise. For the past three seasons, Buffalo has slowly been laying the foundation for future seasons, building toward a future championship while setting realistic expectations for incremental success now, which has given the fan base hope. I think this process has also molded the character of the team in a particular way that manifests itself on the field. I now see that it has prepared a richer feast than it has been capable of digesting in recent years. After subsiding on the rice and beans of game-managing quarterbacks and unimaginative offenses for the better part of two decades, Buffalo has suddenly been introduced to a smorgasbord of MVP-caliber quarterbacking and cutting-edge play-calling. When the Bills walk into halftime with a lead of 10 or more points, they are disoriented. With the gigantic leap of Josh Allen and the offense over the past year, the end of the process has emerged sooner than expected, and the Bills are clutching the prize like an insecure boyfriend who can't believe the most beautiful girl in the world actually loves him. In the third quarter, the Bills suddenly stop doing the little things that made them initially successful. I see a preoccupied team that commits careless penalties on offense and a defense that often seems to fall into reactive mode, waiting for a surge of offense that comes as a self-fulfilling prophecy. When the Bills begin to waver, Wyoming Josh makes his cameo appearance. He waits in the saddle while opposing running backs rip through the Bills' tentative defensive front in six-yard chunks. Then, after Dawson Knox, or a replacement lineman, blocks someone in the back, Putting Buffalo in negative down and distance, Allen charges, scrambling from sideline to sideline, 15 yards in the backfield, stiff-arming defensive tackles and launching 40-yard bombs toward red and blue helmets he glimpses peripherally while being flung to the turf. Although Allen is developing better control, this aspect of the game will never go away. He is a fierce, fearless competitor who is confident in his natural talent. Thus, he will inevitably resort to hero ball when the players or coaches around him surrender the initiative. The bottom line, in my opinion, is that Josh Allen's decision-making is part of a much larger phenomenon that relates to a particular psyche of the Buffalo Bills organization. The Bills still aren't used to winning. Part of them still doubts themselves, which I think is why McDermott felt the need to say they're a good football team, although he wasn't asked the question during the Cardinals' post-game press conference. 
Ironically, one of this team's last major hurdles will be transcending the underdog mentality that has helped them get to this point and truly envisioning themselves as championship caliber. The evolution of Josh Allen is no longer the largest variable. The largest variable is how successfully McDermott mentally prepares these players to become consistent winners for four quarters a game. Not sure if the length of this email is compatible with the programming of the pod or if the content is worthy, but I figured I'd put this narrative out there for consideration. I always look forward to hearing what you have to say. Jesse, I just spent a long time reading an email from a listener. I would only spend that time doing it if I thought there was value in the discussion. Please don't get in the habit of sending me massive emails because I probably won't be able to fit them in. But this time we can because I actually got a small amount of almighty takes this week relative to normal. So we have time to talk about this. I recognize that believing that you are a team who should win every game is more than just saying we expect to win. It's more than just maroning it, which is saying we don't hope to win. We expect to win. Okay, great. Confidence is a real thing. And confidence comes with time. Excellence, you have heard me say in the past, is how well you do something multiplied by how long you do it. And with excellence comes confidence. Either you have the confidence ahead of time, in which case you're probably odd, unrealistic, or Michael Jordan. Someone who believes themselves to be the greatest of all time, even when they're not. Maybe you're out of touch with reality. But for most people, the confidence comes from a previous display of excellence. And as that time happens, and as it builds up, for Josh Allen and for this team, they will continue to believe. They'll believe in themselves. They'll believe in McDermott's plan. They'll believe in Dable's play calls. They'll believe in Allen's execution. And that confidence comes along with this. I think it's just a matter of time. What we need is for Josh Allen and this Buffalo Bills team to stay good. The longer you stay good, the lower the probability is that you were a fluke or a flash in the pan or any of the other metaphors you'd like to use to describe someone who was good, but not for a long time because The universe is littered with that. Mitchell Trubisky was a pro bowler, ladies and gentlemen. The universe is littered with people who were good for a year. And that happens. And the longer it happens, the more confidence we should have in Josh Allen, the more confidence we should have in the team, the more confidence Josh Allen should have in Josh Allen, the more confidence Sean McDermott should have in Josh Allen, the more confidence Josh Allen should have in Sean McDermott. And it just overall goes around. Every single tether that makes up a community surrounding a sports team gets stronger with time on task. And that task is excellence. The more displays of excellence your team shows, the more confidence you should have in them, the more confidence they should have in them. I agree with this. I think it was a good point. Thank you for sharing, Jesse. Chris Collins says, Bruce, my almighty take is that garbage time needs to be given a clear-cut definition so we can quantify statistics obtained during relevant time versus garbage time. My stance is it should be based on win probability calculations. So at any point where the team exceeds a set threshold percentage of chance of victory and at no point throughout the remainder of the game falls below that threshold. The two percentage I looked at were 95 and 99% chance of victory. 
Looking at the Bills-Cardinals game, the Bills had 93.46 chance of victory after the Diggs touchdown. So at no point would this game have had a, quote, garbage time, despite being up by four with just over 30 seconds. I also looked at the Steelers-Bengals game, which was a 36-10 blowout. The Steelers in this game had over a 95% chance of victory when they were up 22-7 with 7.53 left in the third quarter. And over a 99% chance of victory when they were up 29-7 with 4.13 left in the third quarter. So either way, well over a quarter of clear garbage time. Granted, Burrow only had nine passing yards during that garbage time, but 94 of the Bengals' 139 rushing yards came over that span along with two sacks for the Steelers. This would allow us to better analyze QB and defensive statistics and help give statistical backing to such arguments as Josh Allen is Blake Bortles. Please let me know what you think. I said yesterday that there are certain quarterback metrics that account for garbage time. QBR is one of them. DVOA is one of them. Very, very important that we know this. If we know what holistic quarterback metrics already account for garbage time, we can appropriately weight the right ones. So again, plug for yesterday's pod, Go back, listen to it, quarterback metrics. And I agree with you. A lot of metrics utilize 90% as garbage time. Not necessarily because anything given after that point doesn't matter, but because what you start to notice is defensive changes and offensive changes at 90% win probability. Defenses start playing differently. So I agree with you. I don't think there is a good number. I mean, we know it's not 50 But you can make an argument for 90, 92, 95, and 99 as thresholds. But I do agree with you that win probability is a function that you should be utilizing when it comes to garbage time. And specifically for quarterbacks, there are methods out there to do that now. Jeremy says, Bruce, Bill's Mafia has been willfully inattentive to the rolling wide receiver quarterback controversy in Buffalo between John Brown and Isaiah McKenzie. This is a ticking time, Bob. That could upend the entire season. John Brown, who threw touchdown passes in a nationally televised Thanksgiving day and a playoff game last year, has spent the bye week seething over the fact that he has been supplanted as the starting wide receiver quarterback in the Bills offense. My take. The Pagulas, having previously taken a hands-off approach to the roster, secretly went to Sean McDermott prior to the Cardinals game and demanded he put Isaiah McKenzie in as starting wide receiver quarterback. He did so, and although McKenzie threw a touchdown pass, we lost on an improbably last-second play. Sound familiar? I have reliable sources who spotted Rob Johnson on the grassy knoll just outside the stadium last week. Coincidence? I don't think so. It seems clear to me that John Brown, feeling disrespected, will divide the locker room and walk after this season. Isaiah McKenzie will take over the starting wide receiver quarterback position, only to get hurt in week one next year and go on to play for five different teams before retiring. Wake up, Bills Mafia. This wide receiver quarterback controversy is real. In case you couldn't tell, that's a horribly sarcastic take. But you know what? Dude, I am here for it. It's Black Friday. It's a holiday weekend. I am all about it. Let's do it. Side note, very, very important side note. We let a wide receiver quarterback walk. Ladies and gentlemen, we missed out on depth at this position. David Sills played quarterback in seventh grade. Really, really important. He started in college at West Virginia as a quarterback. Dawson Knox converted quarterback. There's depth there you don't even know about. We let some walk out the door with David Sills, but we still got Dawson Knox. He could be a tight end quarterback. Could really throw a wrench in everybody's plans. Moving on. Kyle says, Bruce, big fan of the show. Would like to offer my first almighty take. Kyle, 
Welcome to the Almighty Take family. I welcome you with open arms. Thank you for contributing. An ongoing discussion throughout the year has been how the lowering of the cap is going to force teams to make difficult decisions on who they are able to resign. I believe that the market will compensate reflecting the fundamental law of supply and demand. There will be many good rosterable players looking for jobs in a market with limited capital, meaning players are either going to need to take what is offered or defer the season. I believe the Bills front office should take advantage of this and leave as much cap space as possible available. They'll sign players they cannot afford to lose, Dawkins, possibly Milano, but they'll also allow players they'd like to keep, such as Feliciano or Daryl Williams, to test the market, hoping other teams will not have the resources to lure them away. They'll return and take whatever cap is left with an understanding that contracts will have to be renegotiated to reflect the cap increasing in the future. Thanks, Bruce. Go Bills. couple things. Number one. Bill's already re-signed Deion Dawkins, so we don't have to worry about that. He has been playing really, really well this year. I, I don't think we've been talking about it as much, but when he had a sophomore slump and then rebounded his third year and then gets an extension, we think to ourselves, okay, are we going to see year two Deion Dawkins or are we going to see year three Deion Dawkins? And in year two, part of the reason for Deion Dawkins' sophomore slump was he went from having... Richie Incognito next to him, who's a great left guard, to having Vladimir Dukas next to him, who is um, not a great guard. But this year, he's had a rotating left guard next to him. He's had Ike Butker. He's had Quentin Spain. He's had Cody Ford. He still played well. So what we've seen there is something that affected Deion Dawkins year two did not affect Deion Dawkins as much year four. And he's still been playing well. So I'm really glad that the Buffalo Bills re-signed him for what they did. It looks like Deion Dawkins is going to be a good left tackle in this league for a long time. And I'm very happy about that. Now, in regards to the cap for this year, this is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Because historically, the cap has gone up every year. And this year it doesn't. I will say that I do not think that every single free agent is going to accept a markedly below market contract due to the cap. I think their options will be limited, but I don't think their contracts will be. So those are your two options when you have a scenario like this in a free agent. You have, what do you think when it gets squeezed? What do you think will come out the other side? It's like Play-Doh. When you hold Play-Doh in your hand and you squeeze it, it usually comes out one side or the other. The mass of the Play-Doh stays exactly the same, but the shape has changed. It can come out the top of your hand or the bottom of your hand. The mass of the Play-Doh is still the same. It just changed form. So, as we look at contracts like this, I don't think that you're going to have an entire class of free agents who's going to be willing to take below market contracts. Because what you will do at that point is you will reset every position in the NFL. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Matt Milano is still going to get $13 million a year or more. I just think the amount of teams who are going to be willing to give it to him will go down. Now, you might say, Bruce, what if there's only one team and now that one team has all the control and pushes it down? There could be scenarios like that. But I don't think they're going to be as common as we think. Also, teams are going to get creative with their contract structures. They are going to get creative with them. They're going to have big year two roster bonuses. They're going to have other things built in that will accommodate for this. 
teams are going to get creative with the cap. The same way that the Saints have been doing it for years, teams will try to get creative with it. I don't think it's going to have a market effect on the average annual value of the market contracts for top free agents like Milano, like Feliciano, like Daryl Williams, people who are starters in this league. I don't think it'll affect that. It might affect the lower tier players a little bit more because demand will be lesser and you may only have one or two teams who are interested in you. But for those upper tier starting level free agents, I think the average annual value stuff's going to stay the same. I really do. Moving on. Sean says, Mr. Nolan, you are certainly the most thoughtful, articulate, and intelligent Bills podcaster, and I listen to them all. I was going to tell you that your wife is a very lucky woman, yet after hearing you last week, you were a very lucky man. The take, after having stewed upon the unlucky loss for two weeks, the Bills defense is going to hold the Chargers to under 350 total yards. At least one of the three involved in the Arizona Lucker, I like that, the Arizona Lucker, Trey, Micah, or Jordan will be involved in a turnover. With the entire projected offensive line up and functional, the Bills rush for over 150 yards while Josh throws throws for over 250. Respectfully, Sean in Fort Collins. P.S. It's nice when the Bills can win during their bye week. Yeah, it was nice to see all the AFC East teams lose. I was rooting for the Ravens to beat the Titans, but that didn't happen. But, oh well. In regards to the first part, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Um, It is, it never gets old. Uh, It never gets not special to hear the the kind words. In regards to me being a lucky man, you all probably heard my podcast with my lovely wife last Friday. There is a reason why I married her after four months of dating. That's right. Little Bruce Nugget right there. I married my wife after four months of dating her. Now that it's been many years, to be honest, I'm kind of wondering what took me so long. So I think this take is somewhat probable. I don't know if the Bills are ever going to be a 150-yard-a-game kind of rushing offense. I want them to run it effectively, but as far as the volume goes, I don't know if the volume is going to be there for them to rush for over 150 yards every week. The best rushing game that the Bills have had so far this year was against the New England Patriots, and it was primarily due to the fact that it was crazy weather, and the Patriots were playing a bajillion defensive backs. So I really do think that rushing for over 50, 150 yards is kind of an anomaly for this Bills team. But the reason why I say somewhat probable is I really like a lot of the other parts of this take. Bills defense holding the Chargers to under 350 total yards. I can th- see something in the 320, 330-ish with two weeks to prepare. I can see it. Now, if Austin Eckler is back, that changes things for me because the Chargers running game has not been effective. Also, Trey, Micah, Jordan being involved in a turnover. That's a lot of people. That's a broad three-man take. I can see it. I'm going to say somewhat probable for this. Plus, at this point, Josh throwing over 250 yards is kind of standard for the Bills. So I'm going to go somewhat probable on this take. Ethan says, hey, Bruce, my almighty take for this week after a bitter bye. Offense, they continue the pass assault but incorporate more Zach Moss short passes. Moss scores a receiving touchdown. Allen continues his MVP season with 300 passing yards and three touchdown passes. Defense. Two weeks of mulling over the Cardinals' soul-crushing win. The defense is going to come back hungrier than ever and give Justin Herbert his first bad game. Bill's defense gets not one, but two interceptions, Trey White and Jordan Poyer, and one fumble recovery forced by Edmonds, who has looked much better. Let's go, Buffalo. Love the pod. Keep doing what you do. Best, Ethan. Ethan, thank you. So 
I'm going to go with somewhat improbable on this. And the reason why I'm going with somewhat improbable on this is Justin Herbert's already had a non-effective game. Against the Miami Dolphins, Herbert was 20 of 32 for 187 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and a QBR of 41.1. 187 pass yards on 32 attempts is not good. That is not good at all. A QBR of 41.1 is below average. So I guess it depends on your definition of bad game. If you look at that and go, eh, it was a meh game, but we're really going to give him a bad game. Then, okay, I would look at that as a eh, close to bad game. So I do think it can be done. I definitely think it can be done. One of the things we're going to get into later is how the Dolphins were able to do it and how that ties into the Arizona plan against the Bills and what the Bills can do about it. But there's a lot of parlaying going on. So I'm going to go somewhat improbable on this take, Ethan, because think about all the things that got to go right. Score a receiving touchdown, 300 yards and three touchdown passes. Bills got to give Harvard a bad game. Bills get one, but two interceptions. Trey White and Jordan Poyer have to get them. And a fumble recovery that has to be forced by Edmonds. I'm actually going to go farther. I'm going to go highly improbable. I think it's great. Let's sign sign me up for it, by all means. But I'm going to go highly improbable. Jeff says, hey, Bruce, I have a thought exercise. You're probably aware of the use of point differential as a predictor to a team's likely one lost record. I've read somewhere that the Bills' low positive point differential and their seven wins are evidence of the Bills being lucky. The same was said about the Steelers. There seems to be big advocates of point differential as being a meaningful indicator of teams' overall quality to the point of trusting that more as an indicator than their actual win-loss record. While point differential would certainly have a correlation to winning percentage, I suspect that the time a team spends with the lead versus the total time spent, not tied, would have a higher correlation to winning percentage than point differential. This was certainly applied to the Bills anyhow. I did see somewhere online, Football Outsiders I think, but I can't access it anymore, it sends members only now, that the Bills have averaged 16 minutes or so behind their games and 35 minutes or so ahead. That would be 35-51-686, and of course, their winning percentage is 700. It would be really odd to see teams that do not spend more time leading in their games actually having a nice winning percentage. That would be a sign of luck to me if a team routinely trailed the majority of the game in their games but still managed to win most of them. Sort of like what the Cardinals did in the last game. It's not a recipe for single long season-long success. I postulate that season total point differential has a lower correlation to team overall winning than the plot of average time ahead divided by average time ahead plus average time behind versus winning percentage. I suspect one of these measures says the Bills are lucky and the other says they're good. And one that says they're good has a higher correlation to winning. I think the Chargers and Falcons will stand out as unlucky, which certainly fits the eye test. It seems like you have the necessary access to data and expertise to compare these two. So what do you think? Okay. Jeff, the reason I am willing to talk about this is because I absolutely love it. And I was not able to set up the exercise for this pod because I was too busy working on the pod that dropped yesterday. This seems to me like something we need to do an entire pod about in the offseason. So, Jeff, if we get to this offseason and you have not had an opportunity to hear this in a pod, please email me and let me know, but I'm putting it on the list for things to do. I agree with you. I do think point differential is something that is given too much weight because if you, I understand the idea. 
The idea being that if you win thin and you lose fat, that eventually those things are going to come back to bite you. I get it. I totally get it. However, winning big and losing big and winning small and losing small happen for a variety of different factors. Injuries, weather, things like these matter. And I just don't know if there's enough sample size. The reason why I don't like point differential a lot, it's okay. But the reason I don't like it a lot is because there's only 16 games. This is not run differential in baseball, ladies and gentlemen, where you have a bajillion games and the sample size is huge. It's 16 games, all of which are unique and played in unique circumstances. And so there's a lot of things where sample size is a problem. I think point differential is one of them. I actually like this as an idea. I'm going to try and work on it this offseason. Josh Allen Stan says, Almighty take, Buffalo is able to suffocate Herbert. I imagine this will be a game where McDermott and Frazier throw a lot of weird looks at a rookie quarterback. Number two, the offense produces their best rushing attack of the year, a finally healthy team boosted going forward. I don't know if Herbert's going to be suffocated, but I think Herbert can be minimized. Herbert is making really good plays from the pocket. I do think that safety disguises are going to be a big part of this game plan. Show him two high, give him one high, show him one high, give him cover three. Do the things you have to do to make him think in the pocket because he's still a rookie. He's been playing really well, but he's still a rookie. So I do think that you can minimize Herbert, but I don't know if suffocate is the word I would use because he's still a good player. Good players are going to get some. I do not know how you want to quantify best rushing attack of the year. I think there's a chance they could have the most efficient rushing attack of the year, but I don't think the raw yardage will be what it was against New England. So I'm going to say highly improbable. Aaron has our last take of the day, and it's a long one. Number one, after the bye, Harrison Phillips will be active and produce much closer to how he was as producing before his ACL tear last season than he was earlier this year. Number two, the Bills will have Josh Norman and Levi Wallace back healthy and COVID-free and ready and raring to get some turnovers and make the field opposite Trey another no-fly zone. Three, Edmonds and Klein will continue to progress, or in Klein's case, not substantially regress. He won't produce like he did against Seattle, but will stop being a liability, be passable in coverage, and clean up his tackling and blitzes as the defense continues to gel. Four, Per takes one and three, the defense will take a leap forward and terrorize rookie quarterback Justin Herbert, regaining its mojo after having its confidence shaken by the disgustingly good play of DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. Five, Josh Allen will continue to dial it in and again throw for over 300 yards and have a mix of passing and rushing touchdowns against the Chargers while also cleaning up the interceptions, mentally locking him and the offense to run through the gauntlet of the remaining five games. Six, but not related to five. The Arizona game was the close but no cigar game that was the Texans game last year. The same bad taste in their mouth the Bills had last year is the same taste in their mouth after this game, but they have more football to play, and this team stays humble and hungry for the rest of the year. And seven, wins out and goes 13-3, and winning the division and hosting and winning a playoff game for the first time since 1995. Eight, although the stadium no longer bears the name, a new era of Bills football begins in Western New York. I I love the story, Aaron. I love it. Let's go through. 
After the bye, Harrison Phillips will be active and produce much closer to how he was producing before. I do think that the longer you get away from that ACL tear, the more probability you have that Harrison Phillips can play a reasonable amount of one technique. But remember, our sample size for Harrison Phillips playing really well is small. It's the beginning of 2019. That's it. That's all we've got. He was eh, in 2018. He's been eh, so far this year. The only sample size we have for Harrison Phillips playing well is 2019 at the very beginning. Was he going to become that anyway, or was that a flash unrelated to the fact that he got hurt afterwards? We don't know. I'm going to say this is somewhat improbable. I think I think there's a chance Harrison Phillips isn't, isn't going to be a meaningful starter or player in this league at one tech. He might be a backup quality player. He might never regain the form. Two, Bills will have Josh Norman and Levi Wallace back healthy. We already know that's true. Making the field opposite Trey another no-fly zone, I don't think they're quite good enough to be using the no-fly zone term, so I'm going to go somewhat improbable on this one. Three, Edmonds and Klein will continue to progress, or in Klein's case, not substantially regress, but will stop being a liability, be passable in coverage, and clean up his tackling. I don't think that's going to happen either. I don't think Klein's going to stop being a liability, be passable in coverage, and clean up his tackling. Uh, I do think that having him run in a straight line is the best way to minimize any of those things going badly, which is one of the reasons why you saw him blitz so much against Seattle. But Edmonds, on the other hand, I do think it's going to continue to progress. So I got to split the difference here and say this is somewhat somewhat probable. Four, terrorize rookie quarterback Justin Herbert. I didn't think they were going to suffocate them, and I don't think you're going to terrorize him. I think you can minimize Justin Herbert. And I trust the defensive staff against a rookie quarterback. So I'm going to go somewhat improbable just because of the use of the word terrorize. Five, Josh continues to dial it in, throws for 300 yards, mix of passing and rushing touchdowns, cleans up the interceptions. Highly probable. I think Josh Allen's going to chuck it around the yard again. And the Chargers defense is not amazing by any means. They have good pass rushers, but... The back seven can be had, especially given the fact that Nasir Adderley hasn't busted out at this point, and they're missing one of the best safeties in the entire league. So, six I like, and I want to talk about a brief second. One of the things you hate about playoff losses that happen, the way the Texans' loss happened, is you don't have the ability to go out and make it right. You don't have the ability to make it right again, so it hangs on you. But the Bills have an opportunity to get back out there and make it right after what happened in the Arizona Cardinals game. And I do think they'll be chomping at the bit. If anything, they might need to be calmed down a little bit. Because instead of having that lingering feeling the entire offseason, instead you have it for a couple weeks and you get to go back and make someone else suffer. So I think that that matters. I do. I think having that loss midseason matters a lot more than having it in the offseason and having it end your season. Winning out and going 13 and 3, I'm not I'm not willing to get there. I'm I'm going highly improbable. Sorry guys. I I I can't see the Bills not losing any more games for the rest of the year. Could it happen? Sure, it could happen. That's why it's highly improbable and not impossible. But the Bills are playing some good teams coming up. You know the Steelers are a good team. I don't think they're as good as their record indicates, but I think they're a good team. We just saw last week 
Dolphins lost to the Broncos. It's just too much of an any given Sunday league where things happen outside the norm all the time for me to say anything other than I don't think they're going to win out. But hosting and winning a playoff game, that part, if they get the division and they get a team like the Browns in the wild card, absolutely I can see that. I'm going to go somewhat probable. I think the Bills are going to win the division. And I think they are going to host and win a playoff game. And I think it's going to be great. And the last one, although the stadium no longer bears the name, a new era of Bills football begins in Western New York. I would make an argument the new era started when Sean McDermott came in. The new era was continued when they drafted Josh Allen. So I think the new era is already here. So this isn't highly probable. This is just a fact. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to crumble the cookies real fast because I'm already running behind. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We are flying through this because although I got less almighty takes, they were longer almighty takes, and I'm already at the 36-minute mark, and I'm not supposed to go this long. But I have cookies to crumble. Every week, we talk about a couple keys. For game planning against the Bills opponent, we are going to dive right in. Number one, corner is key. Justin Herbert targets Keenan Allen almost twice as much as the next targeted receiver on the team. Hits the Randy ratio all over again, ladies and gentlemen, Los Angeles. Do you know how we say as Bills fans, we should just target Cole Beasley a lot. Good things happen. That's the way they feel about Keenan Allen. Only he can play a lot more positions because of the size dynamic. Good things happen for the Chargers when they target Keenan Allen. So they keep doing it. They keep going to the well. Tredavious White, it is time for you to do the thing that you do. Tredavious White's ability to cover Allen one-on-one trickles through the remainder of the defense because it frees up safety resources to help over the top of Mike Williams. Mike Williams is a vertical guy with size and ball skills at the catch point. He creates problems for players like Levi Wallace. I'd actually like to see Josh Norman and Dane Jackson take the reps over top of Mike Williams. They're better at the catch point. They're more physical. They're more aggressive. I need the physicality to compete against Mike Williams if Justin Herbert is forced to go that direction because Tredavious White played against Keenan Allen so well. The second thing, the Arizona Cardinals were able to confuse the Buffalo protection on multiple occasions. They did this with their muddle front. They put multiple men at the line of scrimmage, and they brought a different four or five every time they did it. We mentioned in the last podcast, last Thursday, that what happened was at first you were seeing the muddle front on third down from Arizona. Then you started seeing it on second down, then you started on first down. But the zone pressures were important. The people who are blitzing when looked at from the Arizona roster to the Buffalo roster, are going to be Jordan Poyer, Taron Johnson, Tremaine Edmonds, A.J. Klein. 
Get ready for zone pressures. If you can get pressure and a free rusher or a one-on-one that is beneficial to you without having to devote more than four, that's a win. That's also what Miami did against them. Miami was able to confuse Herbert and the protection. Show him different things. Make sure that he doesn't know at the time of snap what he's seeing. Or he thinks he knows at the time of snap what he's seeing. And he has to make those processing things happen post-snap. That's the way you get rookies. The way you get rookies is make them process post-snap, not pre-snap. Because their coach can help them process pre-snap. As long as they get out of the huddle and up to the line before 15 seconds left to go in the play clock, their coach can help them. Make them process post-snap. Zone pressure, safety rotation. On offense, Gus Bradley's defense is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. Plenty of zone, usually not blitz heavy. It's based on execution, precision, and pressure from the front four. At this point in the season, coming off your bye week, which is supposed to be a self-scouting time, the Bills need to have answers for cover three, soft zone that is designed to limit big plays. You've seen it multiple times this year. Have an answer. That goes for Brian Dable. That goes for Josh Allen. If the answers are there, Josh Allen, and you're not getting them, that's on you. Brian Dable, if you're not scheming up answers to soft zone, that's on you. I don't care whether it's a smash concept or routes to the flats. The team and Josh Allen need to be ready for this. Related note, smash concept is a hook from the outside receiver and same side slot receiver running a seven route. It's designed to create a high low for the quarterback. That puts a zone defender in conflict where if the zone defender comes up, you hit the seven behind him. And if the zone defender drops back, you hit the hook in front of him. That is the method by which you can beat cover three and soft zone. Ladies and gentlemen, we have done it. We have gone through your almighty takes. We have crumbled the cookies. We have eaten the turkey. We have avoided the Thanksgiving sides that are lousy, but we have had devil eggs and macaroni and cheese because they're amazing, and so is turkey. We have done all the things that we needed to do to make this week a success. There's one thing left to do, and it's go out there and root for our team to beat the Los Angeles Chargers. Until next time, I'm going to give you some cookies, but they're going to crumble because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Bumble Rock.